throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to say, without directly saying it, that there is no greater, more important question for you to ask yourself than this question. Am I in or out of Christ? Am I in Christ or am I outside of Christ? And this is true whether you're in third grade or whether you're in your 60s or 70s. This is true for your entire life at every stage of your life. As I look at my life and the way that I'm living, does my life say that I am in Christ or does my life say that I am out of Christ? And here's what Paul says about what it looks like for you to live outside of Christ. You are dead in sin. You are sons and daughters of disobedience. You are given over to sinful passions. You are constantly carrying out evil desires, almost as though it's not even by your own will. You are under the power and pull of evil desires. You have a darkened understanding. You are alienated from life in God, ignorant to spiritual things, hard-hearted, callous, given over to sensuality, greedy for impurity, corrupt. And that's a short abbreviated list. There's more throughout Ephesians, but that's a short list just using the texts that we've already looked at. That is what it looks like to live your life outside of Christ. And the result of this is always and only death. That's it. So if what Paul is arguing for is true, that is true for you. And there's no more important question for you to ask yourself than, is my life in alignment with Jesus or am I out of alignment? By contrast, here's what it looks like to live in Christ, alive. You are alive in Christ. You were dead, but now you're alive in Christ. You are sons and daughters, not of disobedience, but of God himself. You are seated with Christ as your older brother. You are now an heir with him of his inheritance. You are now the recipients of kindness. You're no longer children of God's wrath. You are the recipients of his infinite riches of kindness. You are created for good works, so you're no longer under the pull and out of control. You are created for good works. You have been reconciled to God. You now have access to a father in God. No longer a cold, distant judge you have access to a father. You are now citizens. You are a family. You are in the family of God. You have been renewed. You're no longer darkened in your understanding. Your understanding has been renewed. And now you see Jesus for who he is and you worship him. You have been created, woven together, built up in righteousness. You're no longer corrupt. You've been rebuilt, recreated, rewired in righteousness, and you have been forgiven. That's what it looks like to be in Christ. And this leads to life both now and in the ages to come. Living in Christ leads to life. And so Paul would say, why why would you choose to live in death outside of Christ? Why would you not want to run into the family of God in Christ Jesus. 
This is, it's not an option. If you look at it logically, it, there's no option here. You want to be in Christ. And Paul is going to argue here in, he started the argument. This is an unhelpful chapter division in Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. But really, this is Ephesians chapter 5, part 2. 5 could have continued because Paul's train of thought is continuing right from his instructions to husbands and wives into the home and into the workplace. Now, there have been critics of Scripture who have argued that what Paul is doing here is really just mirroring what other writers of his day were doing in writing out what are called the household codes that this was just a common practice and Paul is just following the culture of his day and writing out household codes, and that's what he's doing. The problem with that is the household codes did not exist outside of Paul. They didn't exist. One scholar says, whereas the, I'm sorry, I'm going to read a little bit earlier than that. It is important to note that there was no identifiable literary form that we can call a household code in ancient literature. Although Aristotle mentions the same social groups addressed in Colossians and Ephesians, nowhere else in Hellenistic or Jewish literature do we see each of these groups addressed in succession as we do here. And even in Aristotle's writing, he's directing his comments to men primarily. Men had the responsibility in his view. But here, even in chapter 5, Paul addresses women, children, and slaves individually, giving them a sense of dignity and responsibility that was unique to Roman and Jewish culture in that time. Paul is actually saying all of you are individual agents and in Christ individually responsible before God. You're not just bound to a father, your earthly father, you have individual responsibility and agency in how you choose to live your life. What Paul is doing here is actually bigger than just a moral code for families and households. Much bigger. It's actually eternal in its scope. It is universal what Paul is doing here. The purpose of these codes in Paul is to help the church effectively actualize its new identity in Christ. The church as a whole can function well as a unified society of believers only if each household is functioning properly. So Paul is calling us as believers into this kingdom that we've been brought into, and he's saying, here's what it looks like to live in this kingdom within a kingdom this city within a city. We live here in Denver, but we as Providence Bible Church are called to be a city within the city of Denver that runs counterculturally to Denver. We are Americans here. We here locally as Providence Bible Church are called to live as citizens of a country within a country in some very subversive and countercultural ways. And it will only work if we see ourselves as in this together. So the reason the kids in third grade and up are in here is because I, in my daily living as a Christian, need you 
to be committed to daily living as a Christian, or it doesn't work. It doesn't work. If it's just the parents that are living in glad submission to Jesus and worshiping Jesus, but then the children of the parents are going out and living differently, the world says, well, that's not any different. They're not doing anything different. Parents are subscribing to something, but it doesn't produce kids who are living different lives. So all of us in this text are called to a sense of responsibility in this mission. So kids, you're in here because you are in this mission with us grown-ups. You're with us in this. You're on our team. And we need you to live this way, the way I'm about to say. And sometimes you're not going to like it, just like sometimes we as grown-ups don't like it. But that's okay. We are in this together. We're on the same team, and we need you. So we need you to pay attention today, okay? Because the first thing I'm going to say is to the kids. If you are in the category of children, would you please stand up? Okay, yes, let's hear it for the children. You are called to be all-stars on our team. You are called to be this. And we should be rooting you on. And you should see yourselves as part of this team. But it's not just children. In fact, if we had the, a right understanding of who Paul is addressing here, we would also... Stay standing. I would also ask, if you are a son or a daughter, would you stand? If you're a son or a daughter, would you stand? Okay, so this, these first two verses are not just addressed to the first group that stood up. Adults, you have responsibilities too. So if you're going to use these verses to help your children obey their parents, they should be able to respectfully use these verses to encourage you to honor your parents. You may be seated. So I have always tended to view these verses as for the kids, for the kids. Children, obey your parents, honor your father and mother. And I have occasionally, my kids will tell you, weaponized them. <laughs> obey your parents, honor your father and mother. But Paul is not only writing to children here. Paul is writing to everyone, specifically at first to children, but then all sons and daughters. And he's actually echoing the teachings of Jesus himself. Children, verse 1 of chapter 6 in Ephesians, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So all I'm going to do briefly with the time that we have left is walk through every one of these categories. The categories are really children, fathers, but because this is connected to chapter 5, it's really parents, but specifically Paul has a word that is a convicting word for fathers. And then he's going to move into what the ESV translates, bond servants and masters or lords. What other translations translate, slaves and masters. And we're going to discuss very briefly, we don't have time to break out all of the differences between Roman slavery and American slavery, but they were two different things. The things that largely, there were some similarities, but largely they were two different things. But the, the categories that apply here for us today are really anywhere where there's authority being exerted, whether you have voluntarily placed yourself in that authority or not. So this will apply, the things that he's saying will apply to employees and employers, managers, supervisors, directors, pastors, teachers, but also the, those under their authority, students, interns, 
junior level employees, seasoned veterans in the workforce. Basically, nobody in this room is going to get a pass from what Paul is about to tell us and understand what it looks like. We must all equally understand and own our part in what it looks like to live together in this new household of God, or it doesn't work. If we don't take this seriously and commit to one another to do this together, to live this out together, the message that we're preaching to the world about what it means to be in Christ falls on its face. And we are seeing this in American culture today, aren't we? Does the church still have the credibility that it had in the early 1900s in our culture? No. You know why? Because this has broken down. It's for a lot of other reasons too. But any, I, I can guarantee you any other reasons that you point to, you will find the roots here. If you want to point to immoral, pastoral, abusive pastoral leadership, it's here. Pastors are called to live a certain way here, and when they abdicate that responsibility, the whole thing falls on its face in the eyes of our culture. So we are receiving this text together, and I am certainly not in a position, other than the fact that I have a title and I'm a pastor, I am not in a position to point my finger at any of you and say, you need to do better. I am receiving this text with you, believe me. I can look at almost every category and see failure in my life where I am out of alignment with what it means to follow Jesus and acknowledge him as my true Lord. So, and even though that's the case, there is hope. There is hope. I have not lost hope. Okay. Children. Children, obey your parents. Paul is specifically talking in this category of offspring to the first group of kids that stood up. You have one job on this team. One job. You're not a wide receiver, Trayton. <laughs> you're not catching the football. You're not throwing the football. You have, you have one job in this context, and that job is obey your mom and dad. Now, the job is actually bigger than that. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than just pure obedience to your parents. What Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 6 is, over all of this, Jesus himself is with you and for you and aware of you. Because right out of the gates, Paul says, obey your parents where? In the Lord. What does that mean? That means behind your mom and dad, even though you can't see him, the spirit of God is right behind them. And when they tell you to do something and you choose to disobey, you are disobeying God himself. And don't worry, your parents will have an opportunity to disobey God himself too. But when we choose to do this, when we choose to live outside of Christ... And he says, obey your parents in the Lord. When we choose to disobey outside the Lord, we're not just disobeying mom and dad. You're actually disobeying Jesus. The same Jesus who died for you. The same Jesus who said, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. That Jesus, you're choosing to disobey him and go your own way. 
Now, here's the good news for you kids. There is not a person in this room who hasn't done that. We were all children, and we all disobeyed our parents, and we could tell you stories, and if we don't, our parents will be happy to tell you stories when they come and visit. But it's not a light thing. It's not a small thing. This is a big deal in the eyes of God because what you're doing is you are learning to live with God as your father. You are learning to experience him, to walk with him, and to obey him. And the first way you learn how to do that is to obey the parents that he's given you. So children in the room, we are counting on you to do this. We're counting on you to do this. If I go do my part out there in the world and I try to obey and I live and I walk with Christ and I'm, I'm doing my part, but you don't do your part, it hurts the whole team. It hurts us. It hurts. So it is very, very important for you to understand it. It's simple. It's a simple concept. This is not complex. When your parents tell you to do something, you do it. Amen. Preach. Do it. That's your part. That's your part, okay? Does that make sense? Now, what makes it hard for you to do this as kids? What makes it hard? Yes. Your own minds? What do you mean by that? Yes, it's hard to obey. If I could summarize that good word so that everybody can hear it, it is hard to obey because it's hard to trust that our parents really know the right thing to do, right? So our parents say, don't go run out in the street. And to us, the street looks like a really fun place to play. But parents know the street is dangerous, right? What else makes it hard for you to obey parents? Young and immature. Just by saying that, you demonstrate remarkable maturity. But that's true. That's true. Your parents have learned a lot of these lessons the hard way, and they're trying to share their wisdom with you. And they have wisdom. And whether you disagree or not, your job is to obey. Yes, Ella. If you're sick, that makes it hard to obey sometimes, doesn't it? Yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> yes, if you're sick, your parents still, I know your mom and dad, and so I know if you had 101 degree fever, your mom wouldn't tell you to do the laundry. But even in sickness, you need to obey your parents. And when it's hard, you need to trust that God himself gave you your parents, and he's actually the one telling you to do this thing, so it must be good for you to do it. Does that make sense? One more. Caden. Temptation makes it hard. How so? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm an adult. I'm 43 years old, and I can tell you temptation makes it hard. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Your parents tell you one thing, and you're like, oh, I really want to do this other thing. And it just starts pulling you, right? It pulls you. 
that's actually in the description that Paul gives of what it means to live outside of Christ. So when we talked about being outside of Jesus or inside Jesus, Paul says one of the ways that you tell is if you're out of control, if you're being controlled by your temptations. It's a, it's a, it's a warning flag for you, okay? It's a flag on the football field that you're out of bounds, you're doing something wrong, and you should pay attention to that. doesn't mean because you followed temptation, you're out, you're off the team. It doesn't mean that, but it means you should pay attention because a person who gives himself over or gives herself over to continually following temptation instead of following God could be demonstrating that they're not in Christ. So that's a big deal. It's a big deal. You've got to fight temptation. And even though temptation is strong, God is stronger and he has called you to obey. And because he's telling you to obey in the Lord, it implies, kids, that God himself is going to be there with you, holding your hand and helping you obey. So he's stronger than temptation. And it's going to take you a lifetime to learn that. But he is stronger than temptation. So if he has told you to obey, he's going to give you the grace and the strength to do it. Let's keep moving. Verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. As God was rolling out the Ten Commandments and then the 600 other commandments after it, this was the first one that came with a unique promise attached to it. And that is, if you will do this, you will live long and you will prosper. Now, it is sort of like a proverb in one sense. Proverbs is given as a book of wisdom. Generally speaking, this is the way the world works. This is not a guarantee that if you obey your parents, you won't get cancer as an adult. It's not a guarantee of that. This is not guaranteeing a long life. This is saying this is a generality. Generally speaking, the way God has wired this world and this universe is if you will obey him by obeying and honoring your parents, he will honor you with a long and healthy, prosperous life. This is what he said. This is his promise. We can either choose to believe it or not believe it, but what's interesting is he is motivating us as adults now. We are children. We are sons and daughters. He is motivating the sons and daughters with a promise. He's holding out a carrot, not a stick. This is not a threat. This is a promise. If you will continue honoring your parents, it will go well for you. God will see it, and God will honor you. He's speaking to adults here. He's speaking to children too, but he has moved, including children, into adults. And he is saying, you have a responsibility to honor your parents, even as you age, even as you leave and cleave, even as you build your own family, you have a responsibility to show honor to your parents. And that responsibility does not come from your parents that responsibility comes from God himself. So just like God is behind you as you give your kids instruction and God is expecting them to obey him by obeying you, God is behind your parents, even as your adults, and he is expecting you to show them honor for your whole life, for your whole life. Jesus talked about this. And he railed against the Pharisees who refused to do it. In fact, he said, the Pharisees had built these, created these loopholes in the law. The law that God set out said this, said, honor your father and mother. Honor them. 
not until you're 18. Honor your father and your mother, and it will go well with you, and you'll live a long and happy life. Well, the Pharisees took that law, and they did not want to take responsibility for their aging parents. They wanted the culture around them to take responsibility so they could be free to do what they wanted. So they created loopholes within the law that would free them of responsibility. And multiple times in the Gospels, Jesus pointed his finger at them and said, you are wrong, and you are leading other people to hell with you. Jesus took this command very seriously. For adult children who have left the home or who are married and still part of the larger household, it would entail showing respect and taking care of the parents in their old age. This was the expectation of being in the family of God. Now, why might that be? Why would that be? We live in a culture that this, where this doesn't really exist much. We live in a very individualized culture where we are not expected really to honor our parents. If we lived in Korea or we lived in China or we lived in most actually other places in the world outside the West, we would feel even in our 40s a responsibility to listen to our parents, assume that they have wisdom to share and care for our parents. But here in America, we really don't. This is not a part of our Western culture. Why would Paul be advocating for this, do you think? Why? I've had a little bit more time than you have to wrestle with this text. Here's why. Because what Paul is putting on display in Ephesians is much, much bigger than any particular culture. What he's laying out is what is the way the universe is wired through eternity. As we are brought into the family of God, we are always permanently loved, cared for. Even in our old age, God says, I will carry you. And so we show this loving care of God even in our old age by the way we care for those who are in their old age. This is how the church shows we're part of a different kingdom. This is a way. And I have failed in this area. I have failed. If you've heard me teach and preach for the last 15 years, I will say this. Nobody deserves I believe this. Nobody deserves to be defined by the worst thing they ever did. Nobody does. But if you've listened to me teach and preach for the last 15 years, you have heard me define my dad by the worst thing he's ever done. And if you've grown up in my house... You've heard me do that. And that doesn't just let my dad down, <clears throat> though I'm sure it does. It lets the team down. I'm not showing a different way of living. I'm actually showing a wounded way of living with no hope, no hope. No hope for me and no hope for him. The 
truth of the matter is, my dad was a good dad. And today my dad loves Jesus. And he's in this kingdom with me. And I have not honored him. So what does it look like for you? How are you doing? I can't point my finger at you and say do better. But I can give you hope. It is the kindness of God in all of this that leads us to repentance. It is not the fear of his judgment. It is the kindness of God as a perfect heavenly father that leads us to repentance. And he has met me here and led me to repentance. In kindness. He didn't beat me up. He loved me. Loved me. And he's going to show that in a minute. But just pause with the text for a moment and ask yourself, adults, how are you doing? How have you done? Are you honoring? As a kingdom citizen, are you showing something different than our Western culture, which discards the elderly and worships the young and the fit? Kids, this is for you too. It is possible to obey and not honor. It's possible to obey and not honor. And you've done it. I know you've done it because I've done it. You can do what your mom and dad tell you to do, but you can do this too. I will go pick up my clothes. Every day I got to pick up my clothes. Is that honoring your mother and father? No. Yes. No. It's not. It's not. Even the young can see this. They can see this. They know. And when you don't honor, you actually don't obey. You realize that? When you don't honor your parents in your act of obedience, you are not obeying. And God says this about himself. In fact, Jesus said, these people, they're showing up on Sundays and they're worshiping God with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The implication is God is not honored by this type of worship that is disconnected from a love for him. You can disobey and not honor. So kids, obey and honor your parents. All right, next class, fathers. This is a hard word, fathers. It's coming for you. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This was very countercultural for, for Paul to say. First of all, for him to address the kids first, but then to address fathers in this way was countercultural. Because largely it was the responsibility of the mother to provide nurture and instruction and lead the children into adulthood. It was largely the mom's responsibility. But Paul is saying, fathers, you cannot take your hands off. You do not get a pass. You do not get to go focus on building a business, building an empire, and leave your kids by the wayside. You have a responsibility. You are responsible before God to raise them up and to not provoke them. To anger. What does it mean to provoke to anger? I, I wrestled with that. Does that mean I can't say anything that might make my kids mad? No. The good news is no. It is, it is bigger than that. But it is significant. It is significant. Here's, a, here's what one commentator, how one commentator broke it out. 
given the heavy-handedness of the cultural patterns for fathers in Greco-Roman times, which fathers were allowed to be brutal to their children. Like, there was no Department of Human Services. A father could do what he wanted to his kids, to great harm, including death. A father could sentence his son to death, even in his adult years. That's the freedom that fathers enjoyed in this society. And Paul is saying something completely different. Don't provoke them. So given this heavy-handedness, readers might have expected this command to have been applied to the children, that children should not provoke their fathers to anger through disobedience and rebellion. In fact, the predominant use of the verb throughout the Latin interpretation of the Old Testament is that of the children of Israel provoking God to wrath through their idolatry. And so it would reason that Paul is actually saying, kids, don't provoke dad to wrath. Don't make your dad angry. But that's not what Paul is saying. This passage teaches that fathers need to exercise a sensitivity and care in how they interact with their children and especially in how they discipline them. And if it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, what in the world is going to lead your children to repentance if not kindness? This passage effectively rules out. These are some tools that the Spirit of God is taking out of your tool belt this morning, dads. I'm coming up here with no tools in my tool belt. <laughs> this passage effectively rules out reactionary flare-ups, overly harsh words, insults, sarcasm, nagging, demeaning comments, inappropriate teasing, unreasonable demands, and anything else that can be perceived as provocative. It, and in his instructions to, to fathers in Colossians, Paul says, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. This is a lot bigger than just don't say things that might make your kids angry. This has to do with their spirit. You are responsible dads to care for the spirits of your children because you are modeling God himself to your children. And one of the things that makes God God, he says this in the prophets in the Old Testament, I'm not like you because I'm not quick to anger. I'm actually quick to forgive and I'm slow to anger. If I was like you, I would fly off the handle and destroy you. But instead I've shown patience. I've carried you through the wilderness. I have loved you for centuries, in spite of your rebellion against me, and I have never lost my temper. If I was like you, I would. And what Paul is calling us earthly fathers to is to model our father to our children. And I'm here to tell you that's hard. <laughs> and this is another category where I find myself falling short too often. It's a lot easier to use sarcasm to goad your kids into doing what they want, what you want them to do. But all that is, is weaponizing shame. That's all that is. And your father doesn't treat you that way. He will never treat you that way. As I found myself convicted by the spirit of God as I was reading this text, it was never with sarcasm. He was never flying off the handle at me. He was sitting with me as I let the word of God work in me. And he was patiently reminding me, Josh, you're out of alignment here. 
and I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you, and you're not even using it. So the good news is, fathers, if you find yourselves convicted, he's not shaming you right now. He's coming alongside you and saying, just like you would your own kids, if your kids came to you and said, Dad, I know I've screwed up, but I really want to learn from you, and when I'm an adult, I want to be a dad like you. You would do anything. You'd be like, okay, man, let's, I'm in. Let's do this. And this is what your father is saying to you. You want to be like me. Come alongside me, and let's do this together. Nine times in these nine verses, Paul says all of these things that he's giving us to do are in the Lord or to the Lord. The Spirit of God is sitting next to us as we receive these words, and he's saying together we can do this. We can do this. I can turn you around no matter where you're at in this text. I can turn you around. That's what repentance is. It's all repentance is. It's just saying, man, I am off course I've got to get back on course. And the spirit is right next to us, arm in arm, like a good father saying, you're right, let's get out of here. That's where he's at. So fathers, don't provoke them, but also bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. i got to move quickly. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me ask you this. Fathers, this is to you. Now, moms, I want you to know, you can, you can scoot away from your... Husbands, a little bit, <laughs> but only a little bit because you're included in this. Paul is intentionally directing this, these commands to fathers because they were the most absent. But because you're linked to your husband in the rearing of your children by Ephesians 5, you're included in this. So you're not allowed to be sarcastic either <laughs> or to weaponize shame either or to fly off the handle either. But this is directed to your partner. Raise them up. Discipline them. Teach them. Instruct them. That's what you're to do, fathers. Your responsibility to instruct and raise up Jesus-loving children takes preeminence over almost any other responsibility in your life. This is more important than your career. For the last 15 years, I've been really focused on building a business and on planting a church and not as focused on the instruction and discipline of my children in the household of faith. I just haven't been. I have applied thousands of hours to learning how to do my job. I have not applied thousands of hours to learning what my kids need individually and what will help them as they progress in sanctification. If I could put the hours on a scale, it would definitely tilt toward my career. I know it, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know it. Now, how about you? You know what's really easy, dads? It's really easy to leave this to Netflix and TikTok. But do you know how seriously Netflix and TikTok take this responsibility? Way more seriously than the average dad. They're spending hundreds of millions of dollars and man hours to find out what motivates your kid. Do you know what motivates your kid? 
Do you know? Do you know what entertains your kid and will keep them hooked for hours at a time? Do you, have you studied it? I really haven't studied it. I've been on a journey for about a year now of learning this and realizing that I've got a long way to go, and I still, I have not put in the man hours that TikTok has in discipling my children. They have the research, they have the data, and they know my kids, and in some ways they know my kids better than I do. And Paul is saying, dads, you are responsible before anyone else is responsible for the raising of your children. I'm just going to let that sit, and we'll move to the last category, employees and employers. A brief 30-second word. When Paul says bondservant, or in some translations, slaves, this is not the slavery, chattel slavery that we experienced in this country. There were instances of abuse. It could be brutal, but you could also get out of it. You could put yourself into slavery to pay off a debt. Most of the time, there was a way for you to get out by the time you were 30. You could expect, excuse me, you could, be, you could expect to be set free and move into society. Oftentimes, with a strong education and a skill set to go do something productive in society. It's estimated that 35% of the Roman population were in the slave category. There was no middle class. There was the wealthy and there was the poor. And among the poor, there were free poor, but they were mostly enslaved poor, working for somebody to pay off something. Now, this translates directly to what we know as the modern-day workforce. It does. In fact, it translates to anywhere you are under the authority of someone else. So if you this morning are under authority of somebody else at your job or kids in your school, you're responsible to listen to what Paul has to say to you. Bond servants, students, employees, obey your earthly masters, bosses, supervisors, teachers, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or free. Here's what Paul is saying. If you are under authority, the authority is not the person that you see. He's using the same technique as he was using with children. The authority is the Lord God himself behind the authority that you are under. So if you have an unreasonable boss, or you think your boss is a jerk, or you would do things differently, you need to remember, behind your boss is Jesus himself saying, are you going to trust me and obey me even though you don't like this person? Am I bigger to you than this person? So students, you should not complain about your teachers as hard as that is, and as difficult as teachers can be, because when you complain about your teachers, you're actually complaining about the leadership of Jesus himself in your life. You're actually saying, Jesus didn't do this. Jesus doesn't see this. Jesus doesn't know what kind of a teacher I have, and he does. Employees, no matter how unreasonable your boss is, and I'll put a caveat on this in a minute, but almost no matter how unreasonable your boss is, you are serving Christ, Paul says. And Peter is going to say, well, how do we do that? How do we do this if the person that we're serving is unjust? Peter will say, look to Jesus. 
who though he was treated unjustly, looked beyond those who were unjustly treating them, where? To him who judges justly. This is injustice. I'm being treated unfairly at work. I've been passed up for a promotion, but I can turn this over to the one who judges justly. Because behind my boss is a king, and the king sees and he knows, and this is an eternal prospect here. And I'm living for eternity. He will make things right, and I'm serving him. I'm not serving him. Does that make sense? Now, bosses, you have no excuse. Bosses, Paul says, do the same thing. Paul says to people in authority, whether you're an employer or a supervisor or a teacher, you are to do the same thing, he says, which means see Jesus behind them. That means no matter what kind of a business you have, or no matter what kind of a job you have, or no matter what kind of an, a department you oversee, on your team is a Galilean carpenter who has humbled himself to put himself under your leadership so he can teach you some things. He's on your, he's on your team. He's under, he has put himself under your authority in a sense to see what it's like. So the way you're treating your employees, if they need to look past you to the Jesus behind you, you'd better look past them to the Jesus behind them and say, how is he experiencing my leadership? And if you're having a hard time believing that this is what Jesus is doing, remember what he said, that if you're going to be great in my kingdom, you've got to serve everybody. And when he came, he came to serve. And when he left, he said, I'm sending my spirit and I'm going to continue serving. This is the way the kingdom works. The king serves his subjects. I'm going to serve you. And so when you are wielding your authority, you need to understand that Jesus himself is experiencing the authority that you're wielding. You're not just leading people who can sometimes be difficult and sometimes not listen. Your faults in leadership are not just affecting them. Jesus himself is on the team experiencing them. Just like Jesus is behind you, working on the people on your team. He's there. Because throughout all of these instructions from Paul, Jesus is in all of them. We are children to the Lord who are obeying our parents. We are honoring our parents in the Lord. We are fathers in the Lord. We are employees in the Lord. And we are employers, leaders in the Lord. So this is it. That's what Paul says. As Matt famously closed his sermon not too long ago, that's what he says. What you do with it is not my job. <laughs> that's what he says. This is the word of the Lord for you and for me this morning. And the intent of this word is not to crush you. The intent of this word is actually to build you up into something better than you thought you could be. And to that end, all of this is done. We're called to live this out together. We should be encouraging one another in these things in our community groups throughout the week. How are you guys doing as moms and dads? How are you guys doing in your marriage? 
How are you guys doing at work? Are you living by the kingdom code that Paul laid out for us? Or are you out of alignment? Are you in Christ or have you been living outside of Christ? If you're outside, come on, stop, get back in here. This is our day to day, week to week. This is what it means to live together in Christ. So I want to challenge you this week to just let this text sit with you for a while and let the Spirit of God himself sit with you for a while and point out areas where he just wants to work life in you. His commands to us are not distasteful. They're sweeter than honey, and they lead to life itself. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take your word this morning and just seal it in our hearts and I pray that your spirit would work and teach and exhort and help us. He's our helper. Help us because we really do want to be like our father. We do. We want to be like you. Help us, please. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The prayer team is going to be up front this morning. If you want prayer in any of these areas, please come on up. And these folks are excited to pray with you. They'd be happy to pray with you. The worship team is going to sing a song and then we'll be dismissed.